On Monday, the May 18th edition, we'll talk about the final two episodes of The Last Dance, NASCAR returns in Darlington, highlights of the TaylorMade driving relief event, and much more. Oklahoma City Thunder guard and president of the NBA Players Union, Chris Paul, says he wants to return to basketball badly. A week ago, Paul and the league talked on the conference call about when and how they could return. Commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver, told the Players Union during the press conference call about how to return through the pandemic. Silver stated to prepare for what could be the single greatest challenge of all of our lives. Chris Paul said in an interview with ESPN, a lot of hard conversations have to be made, a lot of hard decisions. But with the team around us, I think ultimately we get to where we want to. Obviously, we want to play. We want to play bad. And I think that's a consensus for the guys around the league. We want it to be, obviously, as safe as possible. But the biggest thing is we miss the game. I don't have the answers, but I know that people are working tirelessly trying to figure it out. Paul also said the call was beyond a playoff structure the league is thinking about doing. I think a combination of a lot of things he said. But at the end of the day, right now, no one expected this and no one saw this coming. CP3 in the league will most likely sit and wait as long as they can about whether they can return or not. Golf was back this Sunday. Well, sort of. Four PGA Tour athletes competed in two teams to raise money for COVID-19 relief. The greatest golfer in the world right now, Rory McIlroy, was partnered with Dustin Johnson and Ricky Fowler was paired with an up-and-coming star, Matt Wolf. The two teams squared off in a skins match with millions of dollars in the line for their respective charities. Social distancing measures were put in place and the athletes played for free. This event was able to take place in large part because of Rory McIlroy's connection at the Seminole Golf Course in Florida, where his father is a member. The course had never been seen on live television, but proved to be challenging but fun venue for these athletes. It seemed that Rory McIlroy would dominate the event when they took on an early lead, but Ricky Fowler proceeded to knock in birdie after birdie to put his team ahead going into the final hole. It was Fowler when they headed into the final challenge, which was the close to the pin competition on hole 17 after they had already played their 18 holes. Matt Wolf led off, and it seemed that he might win after Dustin Johnson and Ricky Fowler both missed the green on the hole ground 150 yards in length. But with 1.1 million on the line, the best golf in the world stepped up, and Rory McIlroy was able to lay down a clutch shot closer to the pin than Wolf. The golfers really enjoyed the event, and in total, they were able to raise over $5 million for charity. Special guests called in throughout the event, which included President Donald Trump. They talked a little golf, but he also made mention that very soon he's looking forward to having live golf events with fans in the crowd and no mask. Before we dive into some more awesome sports topics, I'd like to tell you about Anchor. If you haven't heard anything about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Can't go wrong with that. And guess what? There's even creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. That's not all, though. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. It keeps on getting better, though. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, let's get back to the show. 
Saturday's event in Jacksonville, Florida was the third time that the UFC had been on television since they had to shut things down from the coronavirus. The night was filled with plenty of emotions as well as lots of controversy. The main card was between the longtime MMA fighter Alistair Overeem and Walt Harris, who had not fought in quite some time after the tragic death of his daughter. The fight started off very promising. Walt Harris landed a few strong blows on the 39-year-old Overeem, then proceeded to land several hard blows after his opponent fell to the ground. It almost looked like the fight would be called in the first round, but somehow the veteran was able to withstand the beatings and turn things around. By the end of the round, Alistair was on top of Harris and wearing him down. Harris looked quite tired after they fought on the ground for over two minutes, but he seemed to start the second round by preserving some energy. They traded a few blows, but then Overeem caught Harris with a head kick that knocked him to the ground. Walt Harris continued to receive a beating and got stuck in the worst position possible. Overeem had him stretched out on his belly and was nailing him with blows to the side of the head. Harris was not able to return to any of them, and the fight was called. There were plenty of controversies as a few of the fights that went the distance were scored much differently than what the fans had expected. In the main card event, Song Yadong and, the Mar- and Marlon Vera seemed to have the advantage of in the rounds two and three. That's when the most expected a split decision happened. However, not only did the judges favorite song, but it was a unanimous 29 to 28 decision. That's when Twitter exploded and so did Vera. He was heard by microphones using an F-bomb, then refused to shake hands with Song. Even Song admitted that he had not fought his best, but he moves on in the division with the winning streak. Then in the co-main event, a women's straw weight event between Claudia Gadelia and Angela Hill lost in a controversial decision. Hill thought she had done enough to win and even knocked the former champ to the ground. However, the judges ruled 2-1 in favor of Claudia. Hill said on Twitter after the fight, I won that fight at Dana White. Book me on the island, Arizona Apex, wherever I carve out more of your girls. Ready to go next week. Coming up, there is a pay-per-view event scheduled for June 6th. A lot of unknowns are on the horizon, but fans are glad that UFC is back and it didn't seem to bother fans that no one was in the stands. Center, two-time champion, former league MVP, and NBA Hall of Famer David Robinson says Dennis Rodman was destructive to the Spurs organization and team. During a few episodes of The Last Dance, it reflected on Rodman's tenure with the Spurs. He only played for two years, but according to the documentary and David Robinson, the fit with Rodman and the Spurs was the opposite of great. David Robinson and Dennis Rodman teamed up for a few years with the Spurs, and on the court, they played well together. However, according to Air Alamo, by fans cited, Robinson and Robin were like day and night, oil and water. David Robinson was on an interview with Jason Goff of the Bulls Talk podcast saying, Dennis is a complicated guy. I think because of his background, he doesn't always know how to express himself. He is an easy guy to like because he's a good, he has a good heart, Robinson said. He wants to play hard. He wants to do the right things. But as far as the team goes, he was so destructive to a team perspective. There was nothing you could do to make him get out of his own comfort zone. Even though Robin's time with the Spurs did not exactly go as planned, he still held many records, including the most rebounds in a game, a franchise record set versus the Mavericks in 1995. In the documentary, Rodman stated he felt slighted when he was traded for Will Purdue, a backup center. He called Purdue a nobody, but most NBA analysts believe the Spurs made the right decision because it was a culture change. A few years later, the Spurs drafted Tim Duncan and ended up winning five championships. NASCAR is back. For the first time in over two months, the Real Heroes 400 took place at the Darlington Raceway in Darlington, South Carolina with no fans. Kevin Harvick for Team Stewart Haas Racing won the event. 
It's Harvick's 50th career cup win, tying two Hall of Famers, Ned Jarrett and Junior Johnson, for the all-time list. Alex Bowman, Kirk Busch, Chase Elliott, and Danny Hamlin rounded out the top five. Kevin Harvick took the lead on the 254th lap and never looked back. Harvick battled Alex Bowman for first place and finally closed the gap for the remainder of the final 30 laps of the race. After winning, Harvick responded by saying, It doesn't seem real, and I think as you looked at Darlington, I think as you look at the things that happened this weekend, I really thought it was definitely play in our hand just because our guys are so good at hitting the car off the truck for the most part. Harvick said during a television interview, we put a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of studying and a lot of meetings and just have to thank everybody at the shop who has built all these cars. And I and just, man, I'm excited. There are many wrecks in the race, including seven-time Sprint Cup champion Jimmy Johnson. Johnson crashed into the wall in the first stage while trying to pass teammate Alex Bowman. Ryan Newman spun and caused the 10 caution of the day. And Newman was involved in a scary crash at the Daytona 500, which caused him to be hospitalized, and most were even shocked he was walking again. William Byron crashed into the wall within the first 20 laps of the second segment in the race. Ricky Stanhouse Jr. also crashed in the wall at the second turn of the first lap. It was an exciting race, and NASCAR was just happy to get back. NASCAR would have been facing a financial collapse if they didn't get back to racing. Former Bills first-round pick Ed Oliver had been arrested, the former ninth overall pick back in 2019. He was arrested for driving while intoxicated while carrying a weapon without a permit. He was found with an open beer can between his legs and pistol in his vehicle. No drugs were found inside the car. The police were notified when another driver called 911 to inform the police about it. In the call, they reported a Ford Super Duty pickup hauling a trailer through a 45 miles per hour construction zone and was failing to maintain his lane and driving dangerously. After failing the sobriety test, he was taken to the Montgomery County Jail. Oliver was taken with the ninth overall pick in last year's draft and had made an impact on the field, recording 43 tackles and five sacks his rookie year. The final two episodes of The Last Dance aired on Sunday. It was the final premiere of the highly anticipated documentary series on the 90s Bulls. The series has been a major success, even though it was originally scheduled for June, but because of no live sports, ESPN decided to move the series. Many NBA players such as LeBron James, Damian Lillard, Clay Thompson, and former players such as Dwayne Wade have all tweeted about the exciting episode. It began in the 1998 Eastern Conference Finals when the Chicago Bulls would face one of their toughest opponents ever in the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers were led by sharpshooter Reggie Miller, who is now Hall of Famer. Before Ray Allen of the Boston Celtics and Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors, Miller was considered the greatest shooter of all time. To make things more dramatic, the Indiana Pacers head coach was none other than Boston Celtics legend Larry Bird. The Indiana Pacers took Chicago to seven games. Only one other team had the Bulls played that many games in a series. The Pacers led the Bulls in the fourth quarter for most of the game until Michael Jordan went off. Miller said in the documentary that he believed they had a better team, but unfortunately the Bulls had better chemistry and more experience. Chicago went on to defeat the Jazz in a tough six-game series that led to one of Michael Michael Jordan's most iconic shot in his final as a Bull. The series also talks about the three-point specials and now head coach of the Warriors, Steve Kerr. Kerr always loved basketball and was his escape when tragedy hit his family. His father, Malcolm H. Kerr, was shot in Beirut, Lebanon, in 1984. He was the president of American University in Beirut. 
Steve, however, made one of the biggest shots in Game 6 of the 1997 NBA Finals that led the Bulls to the win over the Jazz. Steve ended up winning two more championships with the Spurs, one as his assistant coach, and three as the head coach of the Golden State Warriors. At the end of the documentary, MJ said he would like to have played one more year and won his seventh title. Unfortunately for Jordan, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, and Jerry Cruz, the general manager of the Bulls, thought it would be best to rebuild. Phil Jackson decided to take a year off of basketball. Scottie Pippen was traded to the Trailblazers. Steve Kerr was traded to the Spurs. And Dennis Rodman was released. Jordan ended up retiring for the second time.